Well, 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 howdy there, cool cats. It's Hannah Harkness back with another edition of I Haven't Heard That Name in Years, my memoir, or something approaching one, possibly the precursor, who knows. But this is the precursor to the interview, segue, with my martial arts teacher, Ray Falkoff. So this was a very emotional interview, which is not something that I thought I was going to say. I thought I was going to be able to be a stone cold robot through most of these, especially after I've already had the ones with my parents and this stuff digging into my deep childhood. Um, martial arts is an intense thing to get involved with at any stage of life. And the level to which I took it you know, it was a part of my identity, a much bigger part of my identity at one point than it is now. And like, when you, you know, I, I think I've left a few things behind that I did intense study in before, you know, I am, you know, I don't do martial arts that much anymore. And, you know, I don't do stand up comedy that much anymore. And both of those were like, very consuming, like, you know, you're in or you're out kind of things. It's difficult to have either of those as hobbies, or at least it's difficult for me as someone who's an overachiever and wants to excel. And having something like that, that it seems so intense, um, somehow like dip out, you know, it makes you, sometimes it makes you wonder, you know, did that even actually happen? Or it's like, oh, that was a million years ago. Like, what is that? Like, it's, it's strange how if your paradigm of life and what subculture you're in shifts, it seems like such a distant memory just because everybody around you doesn't, you know, doesn't know it was there or, you know, it's just, it's just such a big shift in how you live your life. Yeah, it requires discipline and self-control and sometimes you know if you don't have a teacher regularly telling you and reminding you these things and conditioning these physical things into your body you can forget you can never forget that you were able to fight and have that kind of regularity and discipline everything feels so like oh that's just a younger version of me that's like so far away you know I'm not that person anymore um but what I'm learning in all of these interviews is that, no, I am still that person. I just may have forgotten a lot just to make room for other things and just deal with other paradigms and just under, you know, using my brain power to just comprehend whatever the thing was that I had thrown into next and just living in the present. Uh, so... This interview was really cool just because of the amount of things I've forgotten and the, you know, kind of scrappy fighter version of me that I frequently lose touch with. It's good to know that she's alive in other people's memories and heads, too, and it's not just some, like, thing I made up, you know? With the bipolar disorder, it's so easy to have, like, grandiose delusions about yourself and your own legend or whatever, um, but in this case, no, at one point I was a fighter and I was good, and it's crazy that I forgot but pretty cool to remember, and oh, I'm glad that I have it in a recorded format. Um, so, 
my martial arts journey started at Pax Taekwondo in Abington, Pennsylvania, over on the good old corner of 611 and Susquehanna. Uh, I got really lucky, you know, if you're in the suburbs and you pick a martial arts studio out just because of proximity to your home, you're frequently going to get a place that's you know, selling belts rather than making you work for them. That's not where I was. Uh, I was at a place that was uh, run by a really, really awesome grandmaster, Master Kim, and also Master Becky and Master Chris, Chris DeToro. Uh, and I got to learn, in addition to Taekwondo there, it was a Mudaquan Taekwondo that I got my first degree black belt in when I was a teenager. I also got to learn Hapkido and some Kung Fu on the side as well. Like, they taught more, there were multiple disciplines going on in that studio. They just primarily focusing on Taekwondo, and then they also had, like, cardio kickboxing class just for overall physical conditioning. And it was just very, very positive for my confidence, you know, as a weird person uh, that experienced bullying. Uh, it was crucial to my confidence, and it was just such a strong building block of my mindset and my concept of what it means to work hard and earn things and to defend yourself and everything like that, you know. And this is also, it was also the first place that I had a job in uh Pennsylvania, you can get working papers and work jobs if you're like 14. I think 13 or 14 is when you're allowed to get working papers. It's just something you have to sign off for your parents. Uh, I was the secretary there a lot. I would answer the phone um, and I would also type out the black belt certificates, which was uh, this awesome process where it's this is the only time I ever regularly uh, used a, a typewriter. I think I'm only calling it awesome just because it's so uh, far removed from any kind of work I do now. We had to use a typewriter because the computers at the time wouldn't load Korean standard size paper and the black belt certificates, these gorgeous certificates with these beautiful golden peacocks printed on them, uh, they would only fit into a typewriter. So I had to learn how to use a typewriter and I was typing in students' names and dates and everything onto the various belt certificates, black belt and the, the other belts as well. And, you know, that was my first like administrative assistant job. So in addition to, you know, learning how to defend myself and exercise and, you know, learning that you, how to experiencing disappointment because, you know, I would fail belt tests is the thing. Is This is something that I talk about with Rafe in the interview is that I, you know, I, I didn't immediately get every belt. They really made you work and it was so much more satisfying when you did achieve what you wanted to achieve and when you got to the ranks that you wanted to get to. And I still proudly display that black belt, you know, I got it when I was a teenager, but I worked really hard for it and it's easy to forget it under a pile of other overachiever trophies. I just, you know, I, I frequently laugh at the boxes of, like, trophies and certificates and stuff in my room that I can't seem to let go of, uh, but I, it's so ridiculous to me that I ever give myself a hard time or think that I should be at a different place in my life, because then I just look and I'm like, well, 
how many more boxes of this shit do I want to carry around? How much more before it's enough? <laughs> you know? Um, and I'm just glad that I, you know, have the ability to, like, see that and remember that and remember my accomplishments and everything because that is, you know, it's difficult to remember when internalized capitalism and pressure to constantly keep grinding uh, just wants you to forget and wants you to think that, you know, you don't have this, that, the other thing, you're not good enough. Well, fuck you, I got my trophy box. I might be collecting dust and it might be sitting underneath my bed while I'm laying in my bed depressed that I didn't do enough somehow. It's there. And I'm gonna remember it's there. And I'm going to remember that I can kick people's asses. And I now have this interview with my martial arts teacher, Rafe, who I met at Rocky Horror Picture Show. And... I started working with after I got my black belt. And as we will say in the interview, that black belt was the new white belt. Here we go. Here's a new one. I haven't heard that name in years. Welcome back to my uh, lazy memoir, I Haven't Heard That Name in Years, uh, where I touch base with the increasingly uh, mythical-seeming people from my past. Uh, if you are, have been listening to this in order, uh, we have progressed through my childhood. We've gotten a couple of my high school friends actually from my high school, but now is the period in my life where I'm going into kind of like a, a fractal thing socially because I'm doing martial arts, community service, and Rocky Horror Picture Show, and a few other things all at the same time in high school. Uh, oh, in comic book convention. So now we are at martial arts, uh, and we are with one of my martial arts teachers, uh, and very significant one, Mr. Rafe Falkoff. Hi, Rafe. Hey, Hannah, how, how you, you doing? doing? <laughs> oh, I asked you first. You have to... <laughs> okay. I'm awesome at journalism, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm doing pretty well. I'm doing pretty well. Um, how are you doing? I am doing good. I'm really excited to talk to you again. The last time I ran into you, and also the first time I ran into you, was uh, with performing with Rocky Horror Picture Show, Transylvania Nipple Productions. Uh, our uh, beloved Rocky Horror cast. Um, I believe, uh, do, do you remember meeting the, I know where we met, but do you actually remember meeting me the first time? Oh, definitely. Um, it was at, it wasn't, it was at the Baderwood, right? It was 100% at the Baderwood. Yeah, that theater is long yeah. gone, I think. Oh yeah, no, it's it's way long gone, and it was the only place I could go to Rocky Horror for a while. I think, I mean, it also might have been the only regular theater TNP had at that point. Um, TNP being shorthand for Transylvania Nipple Productions, not a super common acronym, so you might want you might want to reinforce that. Um, but uh, yeah, TNP, uh, I think only had that regular show at the Baderwood, and. I uh, was a teenager, so I, I don't think I would have even been able to go into the city that late. Like, I did know a person with a car. 
But just occurred to me, you were in Narberth, so you were you were driving down for that every month, or? So no, I had to get a ride. Um, but it was we also did have a show in Bryn Mawr. We had the Bryn Mawr Theater as well. Oh right, right. Not, we did not affiliated with the current Bryn Mawr Theater, which is the Bryn Mawr Film Institute, but it was the same location. Right, exactly. <laughs> Do you want to tell the story of how we got kicked out of that? <laughs> oh boy. Well, it's dojo relevant. So what we what okay. happened was we had a show where we did a part of the pre-show was a penis pinata, and we brought up somebody who was brand new to hit it with a PVC pipe, and one of our castmates was like, PVC pipe will be fine. It'll be nice and strong. Picked one of the people that I've been teaching how to do, you know, good hard hits with, and boom, snapped the PVC pipe, and part of it went straight through the screen. And so you yep. had to, you know, insurance got called, and the insurance paid for it, but they were like, yeah, you can, we'll pay for it, but you can never have them. Yeah. So we lost mm -hmm. our show at the Bryn Mawr, sadly. Yeah, which sucked because that theater was a party and everything. Uh, but I, we did eventually get back into the Ritz Bors. So Rocky Horror, for context, uh, we're going to mention a lot of different phases of it. I, I mean, we're going to focus more on martial arts. But if we like get backtracked and go to different phases of it, uh, of it, it's because we've been doing it for like over 13 years now, right? So there's like fucking archaeological layers of like different rocky horror experiences because we like grew up with it like you're you're only like a couple years older than me too right were you were you a teenager when you were coming down to those or um when i first started yeah but i'm i'm a little bit older than you so i, I figured out that this april is 20 years for me with tnp oh my god yeah, yeah that's God, that's crazy. Yeah, I wasn't even 18 yet when I started with TNP. I was 16, and they wouldn't let me be in the cast until I was 18. Um, and I remembered they have that, like, they had that, like, Angel Fire website, and me and my friends oh, God, were, yes. like, super young and looking at it because we were just looking at, like, oh, we want to join this Rocky Horror cast. Uh, and we all piled in a van. Uh, were you at the first show where I was Columbia? Did you come down for that? Or were you coming to later shows? Like, cause I wasn't uh, like at the first show I got pulled out of the audience to be Columbia and I wasn't even in the cast yet. I think the first time that I met you, you had already like interacted with cast, but I don't remember if you were pulled up that way or not. I know that you would like, everybody knew who you were and mm. you were there before the show started. That, that's what I remember that. Right, right. Yeah, so at that point, I wouldn't have, because the very first show, it was just Colleen and uh, one other person there. I forget who was with her, and they, they hadn't actually hired the cast, so they just were, like, pulling everybody out of the audience that was dressed as the different characters, and that is actually how I met my best friend, Joe, whose interview we should have already released by now. Um, and he tells the whole story about that in his interview where, like, I ran up and asked, because he was dressed as Eddie, and that's how we met. It were like, for real, for real. And I asked his girlfriend, like, I was, like, ran up to her, and I was like, is it okay if I molest your boyfriend because it's part of the show? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, great. And I just jumped on him <laughs> during the dance scene. Um, but, yeah, so uh, describe your... Uh, your presence at Rocky Horror because it was uh, pretty well known. <laughs> so this is an, uh, I'll just start with this. So I used to go to the shows right when I was about 18. There were a lot of shows that were nearby and most of them didn't have any shadow cast yet. And then finally TMP showed up. And when they did, um, I 
would just go to the shows in as little as possible. And I would have a lot of fun with that. And at one point they used me as a gong because I was like basically wearing a thong. And so they used me as the gong in one scene and um, called me naked guy. So they pulled me up as naked guy. And uh, I got involved in the cast when I went to a club one night, rest in peace shampoo and uh, nocturne. Oh my God. But I went and I met, I, I was there and I saw the, a, a woman who regularly played Columbia. And I was like, do I know you from somewhere? And she goes, that's a terrible pickup line. And I went, no, 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 actually Rocky Horror. And she goes, yeah, you look familiar. I was like, I'm naked guy. She goes, oh my God, you're not naked. And uh, <laughs> so she, you know, we started talking and she was like, we need cast members. And I, I got involved probably, I think about a year or so before you did, but not, not that much more than that. Yeah, because it would have specifically been, like, an age and legality thing, because we had a small, like, social group that were called, like, the transies in training, or tits, that yep. stayed off to the side, but we stayed, like, fully clothed, or we were, like, transies, or, like, I'm, I'm saying that now, because the, the I, we used to say trannies, and that, but, you know, like, we're, no, I didn't even like that when we were doing it, um, but, uh, yeah, we were, like, transies in training, when I finally hit 18, that was when I'm, like, I finally get to be Columbia, and I, I really never learned another part because that's like the most pain in the ass. One of the most pain in the ass parts apart from Frank. Um, so when uh, it's interesting that that was how we met is that I'm like, this is the naked guy at the Rocky Horror Show. And then you became my martial arts teacher, which is a completely different, di like a, a wildly different dynamic. Like, I think that you would have to have been like, no, clergy actually would have been closer to being a martial arts teacher. <laughs> I'm like, uh, so do you remember? Because I know that when you met me, I was doing Taekwondo at that point. Like, I have a so, black belt yeah. Mudokwan Taekwondo that I got when I was, I guess, 17 or 18. Uh, and But when I met, like, do you, was I already a black belt when I met you? Or not, not when I met you. When I started doing martial arts, was I with you? Was I already a black belt? Or did I start, like, beforehand? And do you remember me, like, did I, like, pass my black t belt test, but I was still training with you? So I remember this vividly. So our first discussion mm -hmm. for martial arts training was that we were at, uh, we were at the Baderwood. And I was, um, I was waiting for people to do stuff because for me my setup was pretty quick i think that night i was playing rocky so it was a pretty quick setup for me it doesn't take a whole lot of time to get ready so to speak and so as i'm doing that i'm just off on the side practicing some forms and you walked over and you you went wait do you do martial arts and i went yeah and you started telling me about your taekwondo training and everything and you had your black belt test coming up it wasn't quite, you hadn't quite taken it yet. And I was oh, like, wow. show me, show me what you got. And you started showing me some forms. I was like, you'll pass your test. And we, we had a good conversation about it. And then you were like, very curious about other styles, which is, you know, I, I practice Taekwondo as well, but not nearly as much. Um, I do a variety of different martial arts styles. And so we started chatting about different, different styles and, and why, and what are the differences and, um, and we went from this place of like, like raw silliness and like perversion and just like being ready to be like on stage, you know, screaming curse words left and right, being as vile as we can be to having this like serious conversation. And I remember thinking to myself, who is this person? Um, that like, 
in this in this situation in this kind of uh, social environment i i would go to rocky horror a lot of the time as sort of like breaking out of my shell you know most of the time i'm very like straight laced and i i don't i don't curse a whole lot and i'm you know i i've got a lot of discipline for myself and then i go to rocky horror and i feel so much better when i've done that and my and i get <laughs> all of that out and i get the ability to just like let loose my my voice is a little bit sore today i was last night i played crim um oh wow at our... i didn't know yeah so you were actually so you're you're back you're back in the swing of things nobody ever quits it's nope. like that sin city nobody um quits. and and uh what's a rocky horror cast member always a rocky horror cast member oh seriously <laughs> i mean so that we we started talking and it was we didn't live nearby each other so there's it was a, it was always going to be like a little bit of a difficulty to to get together for training but with enough time um I can't remember, did you move into Philly or were you just taking public transit? What were we doing to get together for, for your class time? I was taking regional rail, uh, but also for a pretty significant clip of time, I was dating your friend Tim Keneally. So oh, I was right. kind of around there anyway. Um, that would have, but that would have only been after, obviously after I hit 18, could I date Tim Keneally? But, um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, it's, I have to make that clear. I'm sorry. My Scott Pilgrim relationship was in fact, after I turned 18, thank you, please. Um, so, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I was definitely taking regional rail. My parents didn't have a problem with me taking regional rail into the city at this point because I'd been like interning at art galleries and stuff. So, but it, I wasn't even going to the city. I was going to Narberth and I'm going to do martial arts. Um, and like the, it, they're big supporters of that. So I could take like the hour train ride and go over there when it's fine. Sometimes I crash with you. Sometimes I crash with Tim. Sometimes I came home, uh, but yeah. it was, you know, they, it, my parents are always in support of stuff like that. So I just, I just took public trans out there. Here's, here's a fun one that's connected to that. Um, like original piece of your previous taekwondo training was that uh so we talked you came to a few classes you were like very excited and then you invited me to go to your black belt ceremony at your taekwondo school so i actually went to that and we we talked about it and you showed me the dojan there and we had a good conversation and um and i met your taekwondo teacher and um and then after that we came back and i was like okay now that i see where you are and what you're doing we're going to step it up a little bit. And I remember having a sparring match with you that was very, very, you were like, I'm giving it all. And at a certain point, you went, oh my God, black belt's the new white belt. And I, I say that to everybody still in my dojo, that anytime that they go up a rank or they, they show a new level of, of capacity that when we then take it a little bit harder on them, a little bit more forceful and a little bit more speedy and a little bit more inclusive of other kinds of strikes or throws or whatnot. Um, black belt's the new white belt. Yeah, and that's the attitude you have to approach it with, with like humility. Otherwise, you're not going to listen to the instructor. You're not going to get better. You're going to just do the, the, you know, the whole beginner's mindset, you know, uh, type thing. Which who knows where that started? Thousands of years ago, people probably started talking about that. Um, but yeah, the beginner's mindset thing is really important and the only way you learn that is to have your your ego slapped out of your mouth over and over again sometimes literally uh in this context yeah. <laughs> but uh 
yeah, I remember in, at that Taekwondo studio, I was already kind of aware that, you know, Taekwondo, especially in the Olympic Mudokwan style, is kind of like fencing with your legs. Like, correct me if I'm like assessing that wrong, but you know, it's like the point, it's a gentleman's sport. It functions more as like a sport like that than with points and stuff than it does as like actual practical fighting it's not that it's useless it's just you know those big jumping spinning flying kicks like you're not gonna bust that out during a mugging like the one time that i did get assaulted in the street i used something i learned from you i used interrupting the guard i i, I hit him right in the throat uh and it was over immediately so I, I have to thank you for that first off um but also you know i it's i'm really glad that i did other styles and I knew that at my Taekwondo studio they also had a guy that was teaching uh kung fu like Chris DeToro he taught kung fu classes but it was only like once a week and covering really you know basic animal forms and stuff like that we didn't really get into depth we didn't really talk about like the different way that you hold your body when you're sparring as a kung fu person and we also had uh, Hapkido, which I realized, you know, and this is like foreshadowing to when you started teaching, like, what my natural style was. You know, you're not like a single martial arts person. You are like a 50 martial arts person and you just figure out what works best for the, uh, you know, individual student. Uh, but Hapkido was the first thing that kind of tipped my brain off where I was like, oh, my body does different things better because the way those kicks are inverted, it's easier to come from a lower center of gravity like me. So I, you know, that's when I got that idea in my head. So when I really started talking to you about martial arts, I was like, oh, this is an opportunity to dive into all this other stuff that's coming from like a stronger place in my body uh, and I was completely on board and ready to jump on the train uh, which is the reason you know I I threw in there like yeah, I was also up there because I was dating someone but I was dating somebody because I met them at your uh, at your turkey ween party uh, which, <laughs> you know what um, how about we uh, I, I've landed on this topic so we gotta move sideways for half a second because I have to explain can you explain turkey ween to people <laughs> sure when I was in college, my first uh, first year in college, I was um, I always had in high school these big Halloween parties, and we we did like we would have like 30, 40 people um, per room, often like four or five rooms worth. And I'm a totally sober person, so these are sober Halloween parties where people are dancing, they're having a great time. There's so much food, there's so much energy. It was a great experience. It felt like felt like the club, right? It felt like you were out at a club, but it was in my home. And we had a blast with it. And we would do it once a year at the Halloween parties. And I went to college and I didn't know enough people yet. And I wasn't going to invite people that I didn't know at all to my family's home. And it didn't it didn't really fit with, with the situation, especially because I commuted to school. I went to Temple. So going to Temple, coming back, getting people to come in, out to the suburbs for Halloween wasn't going to happen. So what did I do for Halloween? Well, the first Halloween, I was there with um, with a buddy of mine, and we just did martial arts training because there was nothing else to do. And mm -hmm. so what we ended up with was I talked to my friend, Rachel, and we both had the same kind of experience. So we said, all right, let's, let's hit reset and do a new holiday that's like a Halloween party, but not. 
And so we came up with the idea of doing what we called Turkey Ween, which is a costume party the day after Thanksgiving. And so what we all did is we would all dress up just like it was Halloween. We'd have all the same like food and, and all the same like um, music and big dancing party and everything. And everybody was home from college because they were home for Thanksgiving. And then we would we sent out flyers to my neighborhood and went trick or turking for people's leftovers. That's the that's the key. When I tell people about that, that that's one of the things where people are like, "Are you are you fucking serious?" Like I like I'm specifically doing this podcast because there's so many things. Like when I tell your stories to other people, they're just like, "What do you mean that ha-? like that's that's insane?" And then of course when I talk to you about their stories, there you're also like. What do you, who is that? And I'm just like, I need to bring all of you guys together so you will all understand that you're part of the tapestry. It's not just me that's eclectic. <laughs> it's like you, you, you guys are required to make me eclectic. So like, I, I don't think of turkey ween on my own. I don't think trick or treating for Thanksgiving leftovers. It's genius. Like that is so <laughs> funny. Like you're just running around grabbing like Tupperware containers of gravy from people and sh- like that's so because people don't even want their leftovers there half the time. So they're just like, did you ever get any reactions? They're like, oh, thank God. Like, well, I think that the the first year we got nobody. We went uh, around and everybody was people were just like, Mm-mm. lights are off. <laughs> Nobody's like they they saw our flyers and went, we're not doing this. The second year we yeah. got a little bit more of a response and we got a few and some people went, oh, good. It's always good to feed the starving college students. And we were like, yeah, we know. Thank you. <laughs> so. That's awesome. It's crazy that it happened at all with any level of success because it's like such a <laughs> such a loopy idea. Um, but yeah, I, I love those parties. And again, like, uh, we're not again, I didn't say this yet, but uh, having stuff I could go to that was under 21 stuff but really fun was crucial to me and crucial to most people because it keeps you from doing stupider things uh but also just it created like so much of like a richer life than just like sitting home like watching Adult Swim in the basement every time like I was always taking these adventures where I take the train out to Narberth and you like take me into the woods early in the morning to spar someone and there's like mist everywhere and I get to take that experience home in my life instead of just another like uh I woke up and I'm in high school uh and I guess we're gonna ride bikes or some shit like I I started having these like cinematic martial arts experiences that were so different and more multifaceted than just going to the dojo like the dojang that was in my neighborhood that was you know just like kind of on a major road i wouldn't call it like a, it's not a tiger shulman's master kim is the real deal he's a green beret in korea and he the big difference between i think like even if it is a commercial dojo i think the big difference between those and the ones that i would consider like a strip mall dojo which might have like great instructors and really bring good things to kids lives but i think the key difference is whether or not you can fail belt tests I, it, do you agree with me on that? Like it, it, the, like not being able to, like if you don't do well enough, like you can't pass. Like I failed my purple belt test, I think like twice. And that's not, I don't think they would let that fly. Like, I mean, do you, do you agree with that assessment? Cause you have a more overarching opinion of this. I think in the nineties, that was really, really true. I think nowadays it's yeah. a little bit different. And 
there's been this push across a variety of styles to go back to this no you got to earn it piece um but when it yeah. comes to like really young kids yeah they wouldn't they wouldn't um bat an eye at just here's your next belt um which is part of why our school sort of rebels against that and we have we have a ranking system but it's very small there's non-rank and then the first rank that we actually count is black belt in other schools we, we call it first rank or even low rank but it's the beginning and so you know people fail that more often uh than not in their first try so you know that is the type of thing where when i think about the schools that were around at that time yeah the idea of failing a test was a brand new thought in the united states yeah i i mean i got very lucky with where I trained because it also, you know, it was a very meat and potatoes, uninformed choice of this is a place that's close to my house. And I had like no real, you know, apart from movies I'm watching and stuff, I had no real like full concept of martial arts. But it was, I think it, it's decent for foundational type stuff is the forms pretty closely resemble karate forms. I mean, the, you know, there's d big key differences in like the kicking and stuff, but they definitely closely resemble karate forms, which are like a good foundational base. And I think starting sparring, cause you don't spar with gear, like in, at your school, you know, you're just, you're supposed to learn how to control and pull strikes so you don't actually harm the other person in those cases. That's why sparring and not an actual fight. But, you know, at Taekwondo, they have you in those big marshmallow suits. You got the giant thing on your head. You got the giant thing on your chest. You got elbow pads and you pad, like the whole nine yards. And I think I did benefit from starting with that because I had like control at that point. And because it was points based, I was able to like, I knew that it wasn't like necessary to put like full power into these. And, you know, I'm also like not trying to knock over another child, which is who I'm usually fighting or another teenager or something like that. Uh, but uh, if you could, for me, uh, just kind of explain your your background and, like, kind of gives you, you started tapping on how the school works. You have, like, a really unique thing going on that's, you know, independent, uh, multidisciplinary, uh, probably still run out of a like a, a dojo that you yourself built in your in your backyard is that still going on and I, i'd really like to just if you could give like a general summary of like your training background and how you started this and how you started you know your own school that's that i agree with you is kind of like rebelling against like the other martial arts education available at the time um sure i mean actually we're you're we're having this conversation i'm sitting in a separate building on my property that is our dojo um oh, so awesome. we finally saved up so one of the things that's different about our school i do what my teacher did which was um all classes were donation based nothing i i didn't ask for any fees or anything like that and if anybody wanted to donate they could um and anytime that anybody else donated i would match their donation toward building a space for all of us so for most of my life the dojo has actually been a financial drain on me uh which is worth mm -hmm. it in my mind because it's a it's paying it forward from what my teacher did for me but b it's also it's my love it's my passion i i got started in martial arts when i was four my full name is Raphael, so the ninja turtles came out and my mom went oh my god he's gonna get beat up and so she enrolled me in a local uh and i'm gonna use this pronunciation intentionally karate school 
uh, it was American Kempo Karate, and I went to uh, I went to the local place, which was good. I learned a lot of good basics there, and they had me in a like an early program that they called the Mighty Mites, and then I graduated from that pretty quickly and moved on to the like, regular kids class. And by the time that I hit like what was called a junior, I guess it was like a junior blue belt mm-hmm. or so, which was like the beginning of the advanced stuff, kind of. But it was it was for kids. And looking back, it was it was a lot of good basics, but it wasn't a whole lot of like real combat ap- applicable things. Those were in the adult class, but they weren't in the kids class. And so I wanted to move up to the adults class and I kept talking about it and wanting to do it. And, and there was this guy that would come by that school all the time um just he would go to a bunch of different local schools and just watch people and see if there was anybody that he wanted to invite to train with him and um that's how i met my teacher and we trained together from when i was 17 to uh, 17 when i was 7 to 16 i had such a robust experience with him i learned so many different styles from all over the place because he was from okinawa and he used to say he went to school in japan so he was from an era that was very different from modern day Japan. We did a lot of different styles and he had, he and his training partners came to the U S and they were not too far from where I lived. And so I'm this little kid going and training with these like people who have dedicated their lives to it. I took each of the tests that they offered um, and passed the last one when I was 15 years old. I didn't expect to be very, very lucky. And uh, so when he passed away, I was actually the whole, the oldest ranking person in the school but i was also 16 so his school fell apart and then a bit later when i was i took like a year or so off and just i was doing my own training and um and at a certain point i had a couple of people who came and asked me to teach them and when that happened that's when i started opening up the right school and at that point uh, were you at your parents house and you created a space or were, were you already in your own space yeah i was i was teaching out of my parents home um you know, I, when I went to school for, in college, I, I commuted to school. And so everything was out of my own space um, or wherever else we could train. And so when I would train with my teacher, we would go and we would train in the woods. We would go out to the countryside and do some training and do all kinds of odd places to do stuff, but it always matched with what we were practicing. And so I was used to that. So if there's a park, we can practice. If there's a if there's woods, we can practice different things there. And so frequently I would be training in the backyard if it was something that was easy to do right, just about right. anywhere. And that's what we started doing. I was like, now this is starting to like filter back in my head because, you know, I've, I've trained with you in a bunch of, a few different locations. It's honestly, training with you is really like doing like one of those Mortal Kombat fighting games where you have to pick where you are <laughs> before you start training. Because like we're in, we're in the creek, we're on the weird patch of grass on the roof at temple university we're in your backyard we at some point yep. we might have been in my backyard i don't know uh but right now i'm remembering you had like i think you either had foam squares or you had like wooden sl- actual wooden slats in your parents backyard and i would occasionally crash like you were in the basement and i would occasionally like crash in a space that was in the basement and like train for multiple days uh, I think my favorite was always when we were training in the, the creek. What was that? Like, can you describe the all-day tra- all training days that we would do? Sure, because that's, um, gosh, we still do those, you know. Uh, and it's it's a it's a blast. It's uh, this place called Rolling Hill Park over in Gladwin. And 
the whole dojo, anybody that wants to come, that we all go over to the park. Uh, we start at usually like sunrise. And the first thing we do is we do a full run of the full park, which is a very, I would say it's a steep mm -hmm. hill. It's not really like a mountainous area, but it's a pretty steep hill. And the whole loop is about a little bit more than a mile. So we run the whole park, and which means the first half is all downhill, and then the second half is all uphill. And the uphill part really tones your legs. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. um, and we get up to the top, and then we would do some yoga to stretch ourselves out. Um, and by this point, the sun has fully come up, and we are training in, depending on the weather, usually it's a little bit misty at this time mm -hmm. of year. Um, we had one recently where we did our all day training and it was pouring rain the whole time. Oh, wow. So we called it all day raining and it was, it was great. We had a, we had a blast anyway. Um, but then what we do is we do an obstacle course and the obstacle course is using the natural elements of the park, uh, with a couple of extra things. You run up a big hill, you have to do a dive roll, climb a wall, run along the top of the wall, jump off the wall, do another dive roll go through an area, do a dive roll over like a couple of obstacles that we put in the way, grab a sword, turn around, go all the way back, turn around, go all the way back up, grab a shield and turn around and go back and then you're done. And um, it's exhausting. It's, you know, 12 rolls total. It's, it's yeah, a lot. Yeah, but it makes you feel like a badass. There's like some things you're just not going to learn in a suburban dojo, uh, like doing all these dive rolls over like obstacles and logs and stuff and picking up a sword and running back through the misty woods. Like this is... This is essentially, like, you create these, like, movie scenarios, but they're also, like, in a lot of ways, more practical. You're not going to be on it. Like, if you get in a situation, you're not going to be on a level floor, you know, in a, inside of a room most of the time. You're going to be, like, out in the world, you know. And I, I was in a city the one time I had to deal with something, but it's still, like, it's, you need to be aware of your environment. And when you have, like, a non-structured environment like the woods, it, you know, teaches you to have to, like, look around you and think on your feet a lot. And that was really good for me because I get very stuck in my head. And it's really, you know, a lot of the stuff that I have to do just psychologically, you know, for my mental health is all based in, you know, quieting my head and getting out of my head. Um, and then, uh, so yeah, so after the obstacle course, like, uh, you should, how does the rest of the day progress? So we then go and we'll, we'll do a variety of different technique practices. So sometimes it's conditioning. So we'll head down to the, the area where there's a Creek at the bottom of the hill. And sometimes we'll do conditioning there where we're, we're training near, there's like some interesting tree patterns that developed right near the water. So we go and we train there where we're using the trees as part of our training. So striking them in different ways to, to strengthen our, our arms and our legs. Um, after that, we might do something we call a fight race. That's a fun one where we'll have, like, I will have, while we were doing our run, I'm placing different objects throughout the woods that they have to go and collect. And we all bow into it as though it's a sparring match. And so the goal is, get it. You have to respect strikes when you're sparring. But for the most part, you're in a competition to get these things. And you do the best that you can to get them. And other people are trying to do the same. So you might end up as opposing teams to get these two different flags. And you're having to spar to get through it. And I, I really only do this with my more advanced students. So that way everybody's safe. But, you know, it, it, we have had to send people to, to go get some medical care here and there. Um, and then after that, we'll usually take a break for lunch, share a vegetarian potluck kind of thing. 
um, after that, we'll do training in the water. And so we go into the this creek area, or it's, it's a stream that leads into the Schuylkill mm-hmm. River. It's it's decently deep. It's probably a little bit, depending on where you are, it's anywhere from like you could swim to about knee height. I'm short, so generally I could swim. <laughs> I remember you yeah, swimming. Yeah. I remember you and Kathleen and Alex and I think Jason was there mm-hmm. too. All swimming. Oh, worth mentioning, uh, this school does teams of three, like uh, popular anime Naruto. Uh, <laughs> so I had a team. It was me, Kathleen, and Alex, correct? Yep. And we did it first. We yeah. did it first. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> I graduated in that when I was when I was seven. I had my first yeah, team. Yeah, obviously um, this is a thousands-year-old martial arts concept that Naruto picked up. Naruto. Uh, Naruto. Naruto. Oh, my yeah, God. You have it right. The, you had it right the first it right time. the first time. Yeah, Naruto. Not like I didn't take... I took Japanese for three semesters, and then I just blanked on how to pronounce. Anyway, incredibly popular <laughs> anime franchise with the metal plates on their head. Uh, <laughs> I took that inspiration yeah. from real things. Also, that the only reason I've even seen that, too, is because... You you put it on because it was a good example of how like different fighting styles worked and everything uh but back to the training i have to keep looping the conversation back to the actual training thing but it's just worth bringing all this stuff up uh so now where are we in the training schedule we're in the water so we're in the water we do some water training and depending on what we're doing maybe we're doing some um practice for a snake kung fu footwork mm-hmm where you're trying to utilize um, basically the, the way that you can keep yourself stable, even in a, like a slippery or an uncomfortable mm-hmm. environment. Or sometimes we would do things like uh, we would practice sparring in an unusual situation. So how do you spar when you can't really move your legs so mm-hmm. much? So I remember you having sparring match that way going, this this just takes away 80% of what I do. <laughs> yep, <laughs> I get a um, really taekwondo. With, with a taekwondo yeah. background, you're going, oh, my legs aren't doing anything mm-hmm. right now. I have to use my hands, and it really forced you to change the way that you thought about your fighting. If I if I remember correctly, you had a match with Jason, mm-hmm. where you were, and you were getting close to your first rank test for us, which is the black belt mm-hmm. test. And Jason had already passed his, and the two of you were training together. And he used to really struggle with your kicks. He would he would have to block it with hands and feet and do his best to get in. And for him, it was actually almost like a it was a bit of a struggle because he's going, oh well. I know I can handle this, but she's really fast. I don't know how to to do this. I don't know how to get through it because he was, you know, more advanced. But you came in with years of years more training in a different style, and um, and then you guys fought in the water, and he went, oh, oh, this is easy mode, now. <laughs> and you went, no, it's not, and then got immediately thrown into the water. Loud splash. You're laughing. Everybody's having a good uh-huh. time. But it was it was the the first time that you fought him and went, I, I have to change everything about the way that I'm thinking about my combat. Yes. And this is why you need to train in more than one form of martial art. And I think after that, this is when we started like really working with things like Wing Chun and doing the stuff where you had me doing the strikes where I had to keep the pole that wasn't fixed into the ground upright but be doing strikes on it at the same time so it had balance which is a a thing that i think really centralized it and definitely not something i've ever seen in like your standard studio dojo was like stuff like that and we're and funny enough i'm doing that in my class in like an hour oh wow we're doing yeah is is anyone gonna be there that you can i can say hi or am i two mini generations removed at this point i 
I think that the only one you could say hi to is actually a person who is now hit the same rank as you and um, I work with and also does Rocky Horror that you met at one of our shows way back at the Atlantic City show, Bella. Oh my God. That's, oh, right, 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 Because we were in the car and we were just, I was having a, a dumb, when I was your age moment, like, because <laughs> <laughs> we were in the car back from Rocky Horror. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad that Rocky Horror continues to just bring us back together because I, you know, I, even when I was training, I knew that there was like some kind of neurodivergence going on where I was like always late for things and having to cancel at the last minute not really knowing why um but I'm glad that that Rocky Horror just continues to bring us back together regardless of whether or not I can come back and you know be physically in this space in any kind of a training context uh and you know interestingly enough they're not they don't regularly train but I still it's your team mm -hmm. is actually the oldest team that I still talk to um pretty regularly um you know it's not it's not perfectly like oh we meet once a month kind of thing but it is something where um you know i'm still in contact with alex all the time kathleen came and visited not too long ago especially because her her dad's house is not too far from from where i live mm -hmm. now so um but she lives on the west coast and alex is in new york too so that's awesome. I want to tell one important story about me and Kathleen is that we had, there was a, a party that I went to that was like a games party where I don't think you were even there. I was at some nope. kind of party where everyone's just playing games. There's like a million board games everywhere. And I hadn't seen Kathleen in several years, uh, but I come to this party and then all of a sudden I see her across the room. We lock eyes and I was like, Kathleen? And she was like... Anna, and you know, if we're uh, going based on like Naruto uh, analogies, this is like Sakura and Ino seeing each other across the room, <laughs> and we just immediately like went, we have to fight. So we both run into the backyard and start sparring. Nobody knows what's going on. Nobody has any idea why we know each other, and certainly why we're not. Uh, why we're sparring with advanced martial arts moves all of a sudden in the darkness in a backyard. It was unbelievable. Like, that was one of the, be the best movie moments ever. And you were, like, right behind it. Um, it's, it's just... It's so cool. It's so cool that you, like, generated all of these, like, crazy cinematic moments in my life with martial arts. Like, I, I just really like that. So speaking of Kathleen, one of my favorite matches I ever got to be part of as a teacher was one where you and Kathleen um, were trying to uh, fight me together as a team. And I'll never forget it. It was a really, really fun match. The two of you are trying to coordinate and you, you sort of planned out how you were going to do it ahead of time. But it wasn't until at a certain point you, um, Kathleen and I, thrown her across the field we were training in the in, in the woods mm -hmm. at the time and we were in like this patch of grass that was um a little bit of an open area and i threw her and you turn and you start screaming as you're attacking and i'm i'm not used to this from you at this point you used to do it a little bit but not a ton and you you're screaming and striking as fast and as hard as possible and something in the back of my like the lizard brain said to me duck and I didn't know why, because you weren't throwing strikes that would encourage me to duck. And I just dropped. And Kathleen, you had been trying to distract me from Kathleen doing a dive tackle to try and just get me to the ground. 
because she was just jumped and was going for my neck and my shoulders. And I just ducked and she went right over me and rolled out and went, what even happened just now? And you went, I don't know, and kept attacking. <laughs> and uh, it was a fun match. It was a fun match. Oh, man. Yeah, no, that that was incredible. And there's just so many, like, little training moments that just pop up in my head. Um, but, you know, like, sort of, I, I kind of knew this was going to be a longer episode, so we're just going to cruise with it. Uh, it's, there's some stuff I definitely need to touch on. Uh, I really want you just it, to explain, because the most martial arts uh, studios, uh, in comparison to yours, do not have like two thirds a component on mental and physical training. They tend to focus primarily on physical and then there's some spirituality and discipline kind of sprinkled in there. In my case, I, again, I got lucky with my Taekwondo uh, studio and I was also like working there as a secretary. So I had a lot of, uh, you know, other like mental wisdom just kind of popped in because I had a lot more personal time with Master Kim. Uh, but you make that, it's two thirds of the test. And you also grade people on things like breathing. You know, the strikes are only a small part of it. I was wondering if you could just kind of go over, you know, how you delegate those different forms of teaching, like when you train your students. So I think it's it's interesting that you, you bring that up because um, when I when I teach, I'm, I'm constantly trying to improve my craft as a teacher. Mm -hmm. And so the test itself has changed over the years. But... The, the constant is that each portion of the test is separate. So there's a physical portion where you do get a little bit of mental and spiritual grading. And then there's a mental portion where there are physical and spiritual components to it. And then there's a spiritual question, um, which brings it all together. And so when I have my students do this, this is the first test. This is not the teacher level test. This is just, you've really earned your white belt. Mm -hmm. That's what that mm -hmm. means in our school. And so what you do is, you know, you're learning some punching and kicking and different techniques throughout your time in your training with mm -hmm. us. Um, but we're, we're a program where we mix a bunch of styles together. It, it, we can't call it MMA because that's its own sort of thing right now. And it's also a separate sport and it has its own rules and it's always one-on-one. -on -one. We don't do that. We do things that include weapons. We include one versus two. We've team, team versus team. Um, odd scenarios, you know, out in different types of space, you know, all the things we've already talked about. Um, so the actual kicking and punching of it is a big part of it, but it's not the primary part. I always say that the, the idea in, in our school, at least, is safety, respect, and growth in that order. So you need to learn the things that are going to keep you safe first. So that includes making sure that you can breathe properly. Many people in different styles learn how to breathe, but they don't always necessarily dive into why or what the value is. For me, I always think about when you get the wind knocked out of you, it's because you were breathing improperly when you took damage to anywhere in your torso, mm -hmm. usually your lung area, but not always. Um, you know, Be careful of your liver and things along those lines. How do you keep yourself safe? And a lot of that is in breathing. And so breathing for us is a really important part. We practice it a lot. Um, but we also, I mean, we practice different types of strikes, but a lot of early training, you don't need to throw punches because they're risky for your hands and for your wrists. So really after your first test, that's the first time we really teach sophisticated, strong, full on powerful punching. 
you're learning palm strikes because that's going to keep you safer for in, in most situations you're going to get less damage overall you can also grab onto somebody a little bit more easily so um and we're not wearing any gear so if you were to use that punch and hit somebody yeah you're going to damage them but you're also really damaging your fist and your mm -hmm. wrist um so making sure that that doesn't happen and working up to the point where you can do it um then there's a mental portion, which is a uh, written test that is about 25 questions. And some of them are very sort of esoteric in their nature, but many of them are, you know, straightforward. What is the value of X, Y, and Z? And, you know, how many pounds of pressure in this thing? Or, or you know, questions along those nature. Other ones are about sort of a spiritual nature for yourself and have to do with thinking about how is it that you interpret your body and your mind and your spirit and are they what you actually have a, a lot of being a, a fighter being a warrior is about truly diving into what it means to be a human being with this body shape and how to keep it safe and how to use it properly to keep yourself and others in out of harm's way and so if you have a misguided idea of how strong you are or how weak you are or how quickly you can run or how strongly you can hit and you're you're going to be you have incomplete information so this mental portion of the test is really in a lot of ways to check the accuracy of your self analysis because once you've done that and once you've gotten to that place then you have the ability to go well, if I'm by myself, if, if, if my teachers aren't around and if my, you know, upperclassmen students in martial arts aren't around and, and I still want to train, I still need to improve. How could I do that? How could I do that on my own? And if you have a, a stable balance of analysis for yourself, you can, it'll be much slower. Um, and you might make mistakes here and there, but you're, you're very likely to still make a lot of progress. Um, and then finally, we have a spiritual component to it where it's really a conversation. And ultimately, the idea here is to see if a person is truly aware of themselves and the space that they share with others. And um, it's, it's something I, I won't share, mm -hmm. so to speak, but it's something I can, I can touch on and just simply say that the, the goal here is to make sure that the person is in a place that they can emotionally handle um criticism for one mm. and and um they can emotionally handle not succeeding and that they can emotionally handle um the difficulties that are in the lessons that are for the higher ranks uh in our school and some people really really struggle with that yeah um i yeah. do remember yours and i remember the the timing that you had for it because the way that it works is i light some incense and when it burns out if it's if it's out that's the end mm -hmm. of the test so i remember yours pretty vividly and i won't really give in any details for that i think that that's something for you sure I think that's something private um but i do remember that immediately after you were pretty convinced that you didn't pass mm -hmm. it and um on the time that you passed mm -hmm. it you were pretty convinced that you didn't you you, you were like ah, i this isn't why I haven't done it. Mm -hmm. And I asked you, when do you want to take it again? And you're like, I don't know, maybe a month from now. 
I don't know when, some point. And I went, you don't have to because you passed. And you, you got up and you punched me in the shoulder and then you went, thank you. And then gave me a big hug. Um, so yeah, I remember that really vividly. Oh man. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that's amazing. I'm not, oh my God, I'm actually choked up. This is like, it's, it's crazy to remember. Um, so we're kind of like running the clock a little bit, even though there's like 5 million more stories. Uh, but I just do want to bring up, uh, two things is that I did, um, Years later, uh, after I had a massive nervous breakdown in 2015, which will either be a one or two part episode, I'm not sure, but it's a long time before we're going to get that. We got to get to college, like we're not even out of high school yet. Uh, but it, I think it was 2015 that I came back after, I'm going to say 2007 is when I went to college, right? Uh, so I, I would have left around 2007 and I retook the test. So. Right. And uh, yeah. also we had started doing, because the, you know, I say nervous breakdown just so I have a secular term out there. I had a spiritual emergency and you kind of like spoon I started going over there once a week to do like spiritual study to kind of rehabilitate me out of the, the ungrounded nature of which that incident happened that put me in the hospital. Um, and uh, you know, what, what was that? I, I want you to tell them what happened during my second test. So well, this is the second time of the first yeah, test. second time of the first right. test, yeah. The second test in our school is a very different yeah. Oh, yeah, thing. no, like and I've never taken thing. that, That's... and I've never taken a style study either, which is when you, uh, it's not a rank test, it's just when you do an in-depth study. I guess it's like a minor in college, kind of, like, or you do, like, an in-depth study of a style, you know. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So uh, the second time you took it, I, I don't remember that one as vividly. Mm -hmm. Um because I was kind of in a place of going, I don't, I think you're fine. Mm -hmm. You were in this place of needing a bit more closure and sort of a reassessing of yourself and, and some confidence in it. And so you wanted to check your work, so to speak. Um, did I lose you again? No, no, I'm here. Okay. Um, it looked like you froze. Yeah, for a second. no, I'm good. Um, but I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, I don't, I don't think this is necessary but i get why you need mm -hmm. it it was one of those where it was okay it's it's no problem to do this it's no extra work for me um and if it'll help you sort of ground and and give yourself that confidence back yeah let's do it um and so what i remember is at this point this was at the um the house in uh, Drexel Hill, right? Yes. At this point, you had moved into a house with your lovely wife and four black cats. And we were out in the backyard, I think in the same space that you're in now, unless you moved somewhere else. No, we moved. Oh, okay. we're, we're, we have our own. I own this one. I was renting oh, that one. Beautiful. I need to I need to come out. Uh, but yeah, I was there. Definitely. Um, and so so at that point, we, we had converted our garage into um, some indoor training space. And we were, so I remember us going into the garage and I remember doing your, your physical portion and going, okay, yeah, you're not exactly where you were because it had been a while since you'd done any sort of like really in-depth, intense practice on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. But I remember going, okay, all right, we're, we're most of the way there. 
I remember you taking the mental portion and I think I still have your answers because you type it. You say, I save mm-hmm. them. So if you want, I can send that to you at some oh, point. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I appreciate yeah anything because this might eventually turn into a book, but I also might just not because this is going great as a memoir where I don't have to try as hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I remember, I remember that for you, it was this, like, you had this need to get back to a place of your roots. And I think that might have been one of the first times I said to somebody um, a saying that we say all the time in our training, which is, long after a tree is cut down, the roots remain. And so you hadn't been doing this in the better part of a Mm -hmm. decade. And you, you came back and you went, I don't know if I have anything. I don't know if I, if I remember any of the words, I don't know if I remember how to do any parts of it. And as like little bits of it, just all the seeds started to sprout. And I remember just you thinking, I can't do it. I can't do it. And we're having this discussion going, you don't know that. And neither do I. So let's see, let's actually see whether you know it. And slowly over time, it was like your body was waking up. It was like you had emotionally emerged from hibernation. And you, you're you doing your test. And I remember after the test, but I don't remember the spiritual portion. I remember the first time, but I don't remember the second time. What I do know do for a fact is that I got in, there were dips in different areas of the test. Like some things I did better on, some things I did worse on. But if I remember correctly, I got the same exact score that I did when I was 19. Which is extremely rare. To, to give a little bit of context, each portion of the test is out of 75 points. A 60-point score is passing for each one. Um, if you're younger than 18, I also make you get a minimum of a 60 on each one. Um, but for adults, you need a combined 180. That's all. So the range of a passing score is anywhere from 180 to, to 225. And um, to get the same exact score, which I didn't remember, I didn't remember your score. And so to get the same exact score, but with totally different qualities is pretty unexpected. Yeah, that's, that's wild. Um, it's, (laughs) and it was really good to come, I think I did really need that validation. And I just want to tell you that they, they said something I was watching about a month ago, I was watching Cobra Kai with somebody and they said something about like, uh, the roots remain while the tree has been cut down. I was like, somebody said that to me once. (laughs) And the person I'm watching was like, what? And I'm like, it's an incredibly long story that I don't know if I'm going to cover in a podcast later. (laughs) So (laughs) here we are full circle. Um, and uh, you know, we'll just end with, with these way we say hello and goodbye to each other. You always say os for, it's like, om, aloha, uh, hello, goodbye. Uh, and I, I'm assuming that's like a, it's Japanese, correct? Yes. Yes. Uh, and it's primarily used by, um, at this point, it's, it's, it's used in martial arts schools over there, but it's also used in like sports teams. It's kind of a quick greeting, but it, it, we use it a little bit more deeply and we use an older meaning of it. Um, so, os is a word in Japanese that um, it, the usage doesn't match the character meaning. So the usage is hello, goodbye, oh, that's cool, um, amen, word, any of these situations where you might use one of those words, you can use os. 
and we use it as a greeting between all of our martial arts students and we when we bow out we we bow um and we say that word um the teacher says to the students and the students say it to the teacher and what os translates as more literally is push yourself beyond your limits and so that's sort of a theme of what we do is you know i've watched i've watched you grow and change um throughout your training where you thought you could handle a certain thing and you went nope never mind can't do it and then i watch you actually handle that thing and transform past it and and get to the that next evolution of the way that you experience your world and to have that metamorphosis into a stronger person because the next you that you are uh, isn't the same one that just failed and so this idea of using os as sort of a reminder that that next you doesn't have to hold on to all of those past regrets and all those past mistakes it will learn from them but it isn't the same it isn't the same person and the you that you are now is stronger and the you that you are now has more knowledge and can make better choices and of course that past you that didn't have those things that had different limits and you you're trying to push past them and so as you explore and as you grow you start to see that while you're experiencing all of your training and you're, you're you're improving in your life and maybe it's in your your combat maybe it's in your career in your family in your communication whatever it is however you're trying to connect with yourself and with others you start to see that there are limits that you've given to yourself and assumptions that you've made and so we make a very strong point of talking about well do i actually know that do i know that that's where i can't do it maybe i can do more than that maybe i'm stronger than that and you start to seek it out and you start to take steps toward each one of those new selves and and Hannah you've done that multiple times in your training and it's it's I'm I'm proud of you for for every single one of them thank you so much and with that we're about to end the allotted time for using zoom for free <laughs> so and this is the same way we always ended it os <laughs> All right, and that's the episode. Thanks, Anna. This is great. <laughs> <laughs>